What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan with your co-host Dave Martin. Son, bow, bow, bow. what's going on, dude? Hi, this is Flume. <laughs> Hi, this is Flume. What's good, bro? You know, it's funny. Actually, we're we're gonna get to the Flume one in a second, but I thought that was a pretty interesting way to start that mixtape. And then I got a call right in the middle, and I was listening to it while doing something else. So I was like, huh. This is pretty neat that he's using like ringtones to like, make a song. Didn't even realize till like the <laughs> song actually started back up. I was like, oh, I'm a freaking idiot. Not the best look for your guy, but you know what is a good look? If you hit that subscribe button on all of our Nostalgia pages, including YouTube, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and on iTunes, and give us that five-star rating and review while you're on iTunes. Help us out. We appreciate it all. Dave, we've been talking a lot about the streaming wars uh, we've been focusing a lot more on the i think we're really interested in how big ip plays a part into the, the streaming wars of the future you know things like lord of the rings are coming out you know all the the prequels to game of thrones so to speak but apple today had one of their announcements which they do this what biannually yeah something like that i don't pay attention to them because i don't use apple products but yeah they come up it's weird apparently they actually announced a lot of hardware like last week huh. kind of just did some refreshes, didn't really talk about that much, but they had plenty to talk about today because I listened to the whole thing, and <laughs> by golly, the first hour was painful, let me tell you. A lot of Apple doing some self-service to itself. All right, so yeah, we're, we're talking about the Apple uh, TV Plus, explain yeah. all about what it is, all the shows and stuff, right? That's, that's why we're talking about this. That's what we're interested in, as you were saying. But before that, they talk about Apple News they talked about Apple Arcade, they talked about refreshes to Apple TV and Apple channels. And Apple as a company never fails to pretend they invented something that they didn't. And this time it was with Apple channels, which is cool. If you're subscribed to ESPN Plus, you have normal cable still, you got Netflix, you got it all, right? Well, you can watch it all in this one place and you can pick back up, keep track of all your progress together. It's all there. One combined watch list. Sounds great. Except you can do that on Amazon Prime right now, dog. You didn't invent this, so stop presenting aggregation like it's some gift you're giving the world, you know? Yeah. They always find a way to cut their legs off with their messaging, and only so many people even even recognize it, but God, it just annoys me so much. I saw a tweet where someone was like, I love how Apple's walking us through, like, like, no one in their life has ever seen a streaming service. This is what the interface looks like. This is how you would move around and select function. Like, who doesn't have Netflix? That all of a sudden is like, oh, Apple TV Plus. Like, holy shit, I need this. Like, come on. So you use the cursor, probably with your dominant hand, if you want to be quick. (laughs) Relax, guys, we get it. Give us a bit of a rundown about Apple TV Plus, though. Yeah, so the thing is, and if you saw my tweets, I was already, I'm disappointed in the announcement for a few reasons, which I'll get to, but we already knew about all these shows. I mean, casting announcements, the hirings, all this has been in the trades the past year plus. We've known about these shows and then we've even known that they shot them already. So we knew what what was coming immediately, but the questions were about what exactly is the service? How do you access it? What does it cost? When's it coming out? All that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And you might be thinking to yourself, why do I need another streaming service? Why do I care? I have too many to watch. I have enough shit to watch as it is, which is totally correct for everyone. The thing that's interesting about Apple is that they have enough money 
to make enough original content at a rate that Netflix, Amazon, Disney can do. So they are truly a new player once they choose to operate that way. So that's why I'm so interested in what they're going to do. Thing is, they didn't actually announce anything we didn't already know about. All these shows, the Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon Morning Show, the Jason Momoa Fantasy Show, the Steven Spielberg show, the M. Night Show, the J.J. Abrams Show. We knew about all this already. It all sounds great. I'm sure most of it will be sure. awesome. But we don't know when they're coming out. We just know the service is launching sometime in the fall. Ad-free. You can download offline. Cool. We don't know how much it costs. And we also don't know if there's any kind of interfacing with how iTunes downloads work or movies you already own, the whole store in general. There's just a lot of questions about everything Apple mm-hmm. does. And as I said, Apple should be spending enough to be a big player. But right now, if they have all these shows from well-known auteurs and, and big actors... Are they just HBO without all the other movies and back catalog that HBO has? I don't know if you can get a lot of people to sign up with that, even if on the surface, those shows sound exciting. So I was pretty disappointed. One big question I had was answered, though, and you can watch this new Apple TV service on this new Apple TV app, which will be coming out on smart TVs, Roku and Amazon Fire Stick. So you can access this on non-Apple products, which was something I was concerned about. But then you think about it, it would make no sense for them to not open this up to as many people as possible. But ultimately, uh, it was pretty underwhelming announcement because it was pretty bare bones. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of the people were kind of aware a lot of this was coming out. I think the sheer size of how many shows they're producing, shows and movies, and the people behind it. I mean, one, shout out Steven Spielberg, like, taking down Netflix and then standing out there for Apple TV+. Plus. Fuck Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Just a really interesting move. But, I mean, we already knew about The Morning Show, which has Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. But, you know, they had, I think, Chris Evans was there, and he's doing a thriller show of some sort. Um, they... He wasn't there, but he does have that show. I think yeah. he was actually in the crowd. Like, he was sitting and watching. Was Oh, oh was yeah, he? Yeah, which is oh, cool. definitely nice. interesting. They had, what, in the promo they showed uh, Sofia Coppola and she's doing a movie with uh, yep. Bill Murray I believe which is pretty interesting reuniting the, the Chris Evans show is defending Jacob by the way there's a Brooklyn Prince show mm-hmm. she was of course the young lead on the Florida project they got a lot of stuff yeah. pretty interesting too we know what Amazon's doing we know they dropped a quarter billion dollars just to have the right to spend more millions of dollars on Lord of the Rings and we already we know how they operate movies they might be changing now we, we have a good sense of how Amazon operates Netflix, we know Netflix just spends more money than anyone and makes more stuff than anyone. We know that. And we know Disney dominates the, the uh, traditional film space and also has the most valuable back catalog. We're getting that later this year. We know what the other guys are doing. But Apple, I, I, I'm still curious how long it's going to take them to scale up because the streaming wars are truly a game of scale. But even if it's going to take some time, uh, Warner Media, who owns HBO now, they, we know they already want to scale up. You got to compete. And I think people like CBS need to step up and Viacom and Comcast, of course, like they're, they all know it, it's all about the, the money game. And Apple, of course, has enough money that they can do it slowly if they so choose. I guess I just kind of want them to flood the zone because that's how they would dominate or attempt to uh, get to that point. You know? Yeah, two other interesting pieces to this. So the uh, Disney acquisition of Fox and all that IP happened last week. And I I believe who is going to be a big beneficiary of this because I think that they're going to 
getting a lot of properties from that. Disney will have, I think, 60% share of right. Hulu, so controlling, and there's rumors they're going to try and get Warner's 10%, so they, they control Hulu. Versus how many Hulu shows are actually owned by Hulu versus made by someone else, I don't know off the top of my head. But yeah, definitely a valuable piece, but it also kind of takes Hulu off the board in a sense because Hulu used to be owned by everyone and now it's truly just owned right. by Disney. I wonder if they would ever consider doing something like making Disney plus a part of Hulu. Like, you know, you buy Hulu subscription and if you add this on top of it, something along those lines. Regardless, I think that that's pretty interesting. Then Netflix had a, a site-wide increase in subscription per month. I think it was only like a dollar for most people. But I think people are feeling the crunch of this and right. people are really gearing up to be providing more content, higher levels of content as well. I guess I just wonder like when does this reach like a point where it's unsustainable? Because if you think about it like it's early now because we we don't really know what Apple TV is going to look like exactly, but we have kind of like the bare bones like you already kind of wonderfully laid out. But if I have to subscribe to Apple TV and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. Who's actually going to be able to afford all these? Yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to if you care about live right. events enough. You, you can't have a traditional cable service if you're going to get all these streaming services, obviously. I use an antenna for like the network, so I can actually watch most live events legally for free. I recommend everyone do that if you live in a city where you get a good signal. But yeah, I mean, you have to scale up to give people reason to stay subscribed. Clearly, no one's ever going to stop subscribing to Netflix the way they continue to make zeitgeisty shows out of thin air. Think of shows that aren't even that good like you. They just catch on. And like Netflix can just have moments, have weekends that no one else really can capture that way. Amazon, by spending a lot, not as much as Netflix, obviously having Prime and their shipping, all the other Prime benefits, I think is probably what keeps most people subscribed to them, at least for now. They're hoping Lord of the Rings is that true IP. And HBO is definitely not as uh, popular as either of those, but has core fans because it just has a stamp of quality unlike anyone else. But then with CBS All Access, AMC Premiere, all these smaller things, I just don't see how, especially traditional uh, cable channels, I don't see how they can survive. Luckily, FX is part of uh, Disney now from the Fox deal, so FX will be safe and we love FX, but people are going to make choices and having Disney show up where you put that whole library, the Disney vaults coming back, every family in America that has streaming services will have Disney Plus. It, it, it's non-negotiable. Like, they're just going to go for it. I mean, families are used to getting forked over by having to buy movies outright or rent them all the time. They're used to paying a lot. So Disney Plus is going to save families money. And yeah, Apple, I think Apple needs to spend a lot because people are not going to automatically sign up for them. Yeah. You know, there's only so many so many dollars, only so many hours. You know, it's fascinating. I have to imagine Apple's strategy has to be something like, if you own an Apple product or buy an Apple product, something like that in the fall, you get access to or like a, a, a discounted price to their service. Mm. To just get people like Apple in. Music or something. Yeah. And then you can from there, once they have people who like the shows and have a connection to the streaming service, will want to pay more when they can up the price in a year or two. But I have a feeling that a lot of these places have to start doing these bundles. For example, now Spotify and Hulu are connected together. You're going to start seeing a lot of things like this. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Disney made a move to make a partnership with Spotify since they now own Hulu. Like, why not just keep that bridge going where they're like, here, you you get Spotify, you can get Disney Plus for a discounted price or something like that. So it's going to be a lot of that sort of stuff moving forward. It it feels so 
unsustainable as they do. Like this arms race just gets higher and higher. The stakes are so sure. high. Well, especially like someone like Netflix where their whole business model is on getting more subscribers and most of their growth is out of, out of the US at this point, but they spend $13 billion a year right now. Like that's a huge amount. And maybe they will eventually scale that back once they have enough content they own. We remember we've talked in the past yeah. about how they have been canceling and just not investing in shows that they aren't making themselves just mm-hmm. because I think long term, it's not worth their time if they can actually own and control something forever in perpetuity, you know. But I think your point about the Hulu thing, I think the, the, specifically the Hulu Spotify bundle, which I take advantage of, I have a feeling that will go away once Disney introduces the new Hulu. They'll just say, we, we don't need this this bundle. We'll bundle with ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. Why would we bundle with Spotify? So I'm expecting that to go away. So take advantage of it while you can. Another thing with Apple, though, and I think this kind of leads up to their path to scale. They had that deal with A24 they signed last year. People throw around, what if they just bought A24? It would be crazy. The other hand, Sony. Uh, with Fox leaving the space, Sony is probably the most vulnerable of the, like, the major studios, probably Sony and, and Lionsgate, Sony and Paramount. People have long suggested, especially last year, Variety had a great piece about it. What if Apple just bought Sony Pictures? That was their true inroad into Hollywood. That would also give them a lot of a backlog. So things to think about. Definitely crazy. And it just makes the foresight of Netflix, I think, so impressive because, you know, they, they're seeing these established companies that are going to start their these rival streaming services and already going to have all this ip in established movies that they don't have to pay for the rights for so there's like that ingrown profit so the fact that netflix has been spending all this money to develop these award-winning and recognizable shows just uh, their their business model is very impressive to me uh, how they've moved into the space and kind of been the pioneers of it but also been like really thinking strategically about how they grow. One last note about that is people made a big stink when they paid $100 million to keep friends for another year. And like you think about that on the surface, like, oh, well, they're spending to keep someone else's thing that's owned by Warner. Why Why would they do that? We know that the friend, Friends, The Office, those are like the most watched shows in the world, mm-hmm. like bar none. But the calculus with that is twofold, I think. One, you're just keeping more people subscribed to Netflix as you make more things Eventually, if you get rid of Friends, they'll be like, well, I can't get rid of Netflix because they have all this other stuff I like, too. That's the plan with Friends. It's just a, it's basically just advertising, right? But also, the key takeaway is, why did Warner Media take that cash when they could have just had Friends themselves? You could just put Friends on HBO mm-hmm. or this new service you're going to work in with HBO. They didn't do that because they're not ready to do it. It just shows you how far ahead Netflix is. Yeah, it's crazy. That comfort TV, man. <laughs> Anyways, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this a lot moving forward. So we don't necessarily need to ride it into the ground at this moment. Why don't we jump to what you referenced at the beginning of the show? Flume. Hi, this is Flume mixtape. When we talked about Flume back in 2016, I think we both really liked his album Skin. And I think he became an artist we were, that was more on our map, so to speak. I don't think we're like, standing for him in any sense but he's a dj i think we both enjoy and and found to be unique in a lot of ways did this mixtape i kind of came out of nowhere for me uh did it meet the expectations you had of flume post skin or were you a little disappointed yeah yeah i think the thing with me with flume is that that first album or that well the first album 2012 the second album skin that was first one we talked about in the pod i was a little disappointed by it just because he came up as an, a dj that does experimental sounds and he got really big off mm-hmm. that and skin like the biggest hits of skin are never be like you featuring kai which is a lot of commercials and say it with tough yeah. right those are songs that are kind of like alt calvin harris to me so i was kind of worried that flume would just kind of go more mainstream go just go with the flow maybe not go full marshmallow but just kind of 
get back to the middle a little bit mm-hmm. because, I mean, it was successful for him. Why not do it? But he didn't do that, I don't think. I mean, the, the skin companion EPs that he dropped after the album, I thought those were okay. There's only a few songs between those two. But this new mixtape, which also came out of nowhere for me, yeah, like early drops, the, 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 the chop mm-hmm. influence. It's not Calvin Harris. It's not Marshmallow. And that's exciting because, again, like I think I mentioned this recently, like EDM has kind of crested as like a whole scene in the mainstream. Obviously, there's still massive DJs, and Flume himself is a big festival draw, but I was a fan of this. I thought it was cool. He kind of got back, I guess, to make him popular in the first place, which is cool. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I didn't find this to be... I don't know if it grabbed me that much. I, I It was very inventive, it, which is kind of what I come to hear from Flume, is how is he going to do something different so he's going to be ear-catching? And I felt like it was pretty middling. Like He was trying some things, but he wasn't going in like totally one direction or another and he probably could have put a little more stank on the song so to speak just kind of like adding a little bit more to him Hmm. but what i was most impressed by with this album was just how it flowed together so well you know transitioned from song to song a lot of times i would look down and it was like three songs passed and Mm -hmm. i was like wow that really just like blended together so well which i think is so impressive to do when like you said you're doing so many different things like those early drops or like trying to bring in all these different kinds of sounds and influences. And the fact he can make something so cohesive is just a testament to his his art, you know, that he is an artist in this way. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't say that about a lot of DJs nowadays, but he's definitely one that I consider an artist. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think ultimately, like, you look at this as, as a bunch of songs. Most of these songs are under two minutes. It's a lot of mm-hmm. short songs, but it's one, yeah, it's one of those few EDM dr- uh, listens that actually flows like a project. And yeah, whether it's, super influential i think it's kind of besides the point it's just actually like a it's a good good em product which is kind of rare these days you know but i mean what were your favorite songs i really liked the song with jpeg mafia how to build a relationship because i thought like those are like funky ass beats mixed with fire bars from peggy so i really like that one but again most of it flowed so i i can get down with anything jpeg mafia i thought really brought it on that song like i definitely perked up when i heard it. i was like oh like this is a good verse that that was one that stood out I really like Jewel a lot, and I thought especially the way it flowed from high beams into Jewel, and then I don't even know what to say about the name after of the song after Jewel. I have no idea what even to call that, but it's just a bunch symbols. of symbols. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought that those three in a row really kind of when I I hit the groove of of the uh, album, so to speak. Yeah, what the fuck are these? <laughs> it's like a house, like a rectangle, a plus. Yeah two s's on top like i'm surprised they have that like coded into like spotify <laughs> right? and stuff you yeah know? although i guess uh <laughs> i guess bonnie Verde has some of those weird symbols on his songs too so yeah no <laughs> overall i don't know if there's anything like super standouty like from song to song but just overall the cohesiveness and him trying new things and having it work really well is uh what was stood out to me most about hi this is Flume mixtape. <laughs> Anything else about this one before we move on? I noticed he's still just putting these out on a on an Australian independent label. He never signed with a major, and I think that I think that's pretty cool considering how successful he is. He didn't go to Atlantic or anything like that. Why don't we move on to I don't know Shane Lewis, lesser known or more known than Flume? Been around long. Not as famous. Not as famous. Yeah. You know, she came up with Rilo Kylie back in the late nineties, uh, then started doing some solo albums on the side. Now, primarily a solo artist, hasn't done an album with Rilo Kylie since 2013, I believe. Yeah, I think they disbanded or something, right? Yeah. You know, this is her fourth solo album on the line. You know, were you even aware of Jenny Lewis prior to... No, yeah, I I wanted to just uh, punt the ball to you on this one. I was not really f- familiar with her, her that much, um, but as a singer-songwriter, you know, in the indie space, I thought this was actually quite a good album, and 
I actually by the end I thought I was actually like really really moving really bumping so I was actually pleasantly surprised I mean I saw there was a lot of hype about it but I didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. but I thought it was good but I mean I saw you tweet that this was one of the four best albums of the year thus far in no order so what made you feel yeah, that way first of all my, my, my twitter game not that strong and that was actually meant to be saved as a draft it got sent out and i was too lazy to, to delete it so i had i had more albums i wanted to add and i'll probably add to it as we go but telling myself a little bit uh so yeah jenny lewis <laughs> no solange on there I yeah no nah, i meant I've, i meant to put her on there too i was like tangentially aware of jenny lewis mostly because she dropped the voyager back in 2014 and i think that was kind of the last time i was really like going to festivals and like checking out the artists that i wasn't aware of on the on the lineups i remember what the song was off voyager that i remember i remember acid tongue from her first one i really enjoyed that song yeah none of the songs looking over over it really stand out to me but i remember that her sound was a lot more country-ish from what what i remembered coming to this so i was like yeah we'll see but she dropped single so head's gonna roll red bull and hennessy and wasted youth and I think those are like three of the most perfect singles to drop off this. Not only because, especially Red Bull and Hennessy and Wasted Youth are very like catchy songs. I mean, Head is Gonna Roll is also, but it's more of like a slow building song. But it really gives you a taste of what Jane Lewis does well, which is she writes these really meaningful, really thoughtful songs and is able to like use melody and, and hooks that kind of keep coming back. And I think not only on this album did she kind of level up in terms of, uh, catchiness but she used the piano more in this and it was basically like jenny lewis meets like lou reed in a way or kesey musgraves meets lou reed a little bit in this Mm. and i think that really adds an element to palatability of it so to speak like i think it's a lot more enjoyable to listen to i think the easy comp is like kesey musgraves only because you know it's a female kind of country sounding singer songwriter it's not quite country but incorporates other sounds but she doesn't have the vocal I don't know, she's not as interesting vocally, I think, as Casey is, or is just talented overall. But still, this album, I really liked it. I thought there was a bunch of songs on here that really stood out. And she talked about a lot of really interesting stuff. You know, she went through a breakup, uh, her partner of 12 years prior to this. And then she actually stayed with Annie Lennox in New York City, uh, you know, St. Vincent in New York City. And I think she St. Vincent helped. Annie Clark, you mean? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, and she also lost her mom prior to this too, who was a, a lounge singer. That, so that's kind of how she got into the sphere. Both yeah, she's from were. Vegas. So just really interesting that she had a lot to say on this. And I, I know you texted me talking about how on the line the song stood out to you a lot. But any other songs on this that really stood out, or anything about just her style in general that you like? Yeah, I thought in the beginning, the for those first few tracks, you mentioned a few of them. Well, I also like Dosey Do. Those first few tracks where I think most of the singles popped up. I think the, the, maybe the Casey thought came to mind. Honestly, I, I kind of started thinking of Florence Welch, uh. which is weird because like Florence Welch obviously has a lot of ballad, big showy songs. They're not really that similar, but I don't know why, but she kind of popped into my mind. Maybe it's because they have the same hair color. Mm. That, that popped up for me early. But just like the thing I always harp on with this kind of singer-songwriter music is, is it engaging for me? And it was. I, th- I thought, like, obviously, she's a talented writer. I think yeah. that's been known for her fans for a while. But it's actually engaging music. And I think just whether it's rock, like, there, there's, a, there's a lot of guitar on this. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's just her voice is actually compelling. Um, so it usually kept my attention, which is good. And I think on the line, it's like in the last song. By the end, I was like, I think this is kind of like the, a nice culmination of the whole record. Because I think that song really moves. But, yeah, overall, I was quite impressed, given I didn't have 
have any expectations. Yeah, we already put on the line on our playlist. We'll check that out now. Nostalgia Best of 2019. I would probably also recommend people listen to Hollywood Lawn, which was probably my favorite like slow plotting breakup song of, of the whole thing. I really found myself coming back to that one a lot. Yeah, overall, just really impressive. Jenny Lewis. I, I also wanted to get that, that tweet out because I fully recognize that probably within the next three months, I'll have five different albums that might that are in contention for best album you know uh, we got what schoolboy's gotta be coming out probably may or early april or middle of Something april like that. anderson anderson pock we got tame impala just dropped their first single they'll be out soon vampire, vampire weekend. weekend the national if you care I-, I care i'll listen to them i gotta catch up on them. <laughs> black keys a lot of good music about to come out so i just wanted to give jenny a little shout out before we moved on so Definitely check out On The Line. I think Dave and I both give it a thumbs up. Something I know we give a thumbs up to. Jordan Peele. First movie, Get Out. International sensation. Nominated for Best Picture. Won for Best Original Screenplay. Jordan Peele, the the new Hitchcock, some people are saying. And uh, his second film, directed, produced, wrote us. Dave, did it live up to the hype for you? It did for me. I think we can get to whether it did for everyone else who saw it. But yeah, I thought Us was a... We're, we're going to talk a lot of spoilers about Us. Yeah. And I think spoilers are quite impactful around discourse with the movie. So I would really avoid them if you haven't seen the movie yet. But if you want our spoiler-free take, we both recommend the movie. Even yeah. if you're not a uh, horror movie fan, I'm certainly not a horror fan at all. I did not find it... You Terrifying. Know, bone chilling or anything like that I, I watched it i wasn't covering my eyes the whole time so recommend it go see us but we're gonna spoil the shit out of this because there's a lot of things to dig into it's weird because going in get out's this huge success right this huge word of mouth success um, huge financial success only cost five million dollars and it was also an unexpected success because jordan peele used to be known as the sketch writer and performer with key michael key jordan uh, key peele and most people thought Key was going to be more successful just because he was seemed like he was the better actor, which he probably is. But Peel comes out of nowhere with this really tight movie that's this incredible social commentary and also kind of reinvents horror for a broader audience. Like it, it, There's so much there. And of course, he was rewarded both financially and critically at the Oscars. And then having us, you know, obviously, there's a lot of hype going into this. And while I think it's it's kind of foolish to compare us to Get Out directly, because I feel like we only ever compare the second movie to the first movie. We never we don't compare like uh, director's tenth movie to their second movie. You right. know, like we're not going to compare compare Peel's third movie to anything, right? No. It's us isn't probably not as good as Get Out just because I think it's it's perhaps a little messier. It's a little broader, whereas Get Out was much tighter in both its message right. and its storytelling. But I still found a ton to chew on with Us and yeah. really liked it. But what about you? I highly recommend Us. I think it's a fantastic film. And what a testament to Jordan Peele. Because, you know, we talk about Greta Gerwig. I don't want people to think I'm about to trash on Greta Gerwig. I think she's phenomenal and I can't wait for Little Women. But in Get Out, he was so thoughtful about almost every single choice he made. You know, there's symbolism upon symbolism in that film and he's he's even talked about it himself that he's put like a lot of little easter eggs in there as like he wants people to go back and rewatch and see things and take more from the film with every watch so his movies aren't just you go you you, you enjoy it and you leave or you don't enjoy it it's you go and you leave and you think about it and you try to understand what what he's trying to say and it's a commentary, whereas, it, you know, it's not it's not like Lady Bird, which is a commentary in a way, but it's not one that necessarily sticks with you past maybe the first couple of days after 
you see it. It's something that I think a lot of times after watching it will kind of hit you again. But I didn't find myself thinking about Lady Bird the way I thought about Get Out or I've been talking about us with people because it, especially with us, he like you said, he's approaching these large themes and these large ideas that aren't necessarily easy to get across get into a movie. Yeah, get across uh, on film, and he does it really, really well. And I think he didn't do it perfectly, and there's some times when I fall short, and we'll probably talk about that. But I just, I think it's so awesome that he's taken horror, you know, this genre that people just trash, and he's made it into an art form again, or at least it feels that way. And I know that there's been artful uh, horror movies I just haven't seen because I'm not going to see them, but this is one mm-hmm. that, you know jordan peele's got the season ticket our season pass at this point you know why don't we start with the performances because i think it's it's gonna be hard to really talk about the themes before we get into the performances and moments that stood out lupita i mean phenomenal right yeah somehow her first starring role which i would not have guessed if i didn't read that obviously she's been on it for a while ever since 12 years a slave off that she gets Black Panther. Cast in Star Wars, doing mocap, right? Black Panther, of yeah. course. Voice work in Jungle Book, too. Like, she, she's a stud. She's mm. great. But this is definitely, like, she's never been able to ask to do this much. You know, obviously, it's a dual role for a lot of the other actors. But she, I think it's just transformative. But also, she really carries a lot of the scenes when she's, like, kind of action-y. So I think it's a quite the multi-layered performance and awesome to see. Her and Elizabeth Moss, my thought leaving was just, like, how did Jordan Peele find two of the most interesting looking people that can do so much with their face. Each of them are playing their, their tethered person and their above ground person. And I think they both are able to like get across so much like emotion, like so much creepiness with just like their looks and that like blank stare that Red has throughout the whole thing. And the way that like Lupita delivers the lines and like looks around, it's just so creepy. She's she does so much with without really speaking is so impressive. Do you think that, that this is Oscar worthy. It's hard to say it's so early. It's not the kind of performance that usually gets nominated, so I'll probably say no, but it's really good. Winston Duke, hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Winston Duke, obviously, I didn't know about him until he was Mabaku and Black Panther, of yeah. course. This was an, uh, obviously much more different. I was actually happy to see that. Like He's just being comic relief. He's just being funny. The audience avatar at times, too. And it's like, oh, well, Mabaku, bringing it. Let's go. But yeah, I thought... Especially in the early going, like he's really like pushing the pushing the plot forward, but also he really drives a lot of like the much needed levity that Peel injects yeah. in the script, especially in the later acts. So yeah, I um I thought he was also very well cast. Um, and the kids, you know, I, I mean, I didn't I obviously was didn't know about these kids either, but I thought they were both great. Again, playing dual roles, being asked to do a lot. Uh, but yeah, I thought they were they were awesome. And Elizabeth Moss, as you said, definitely an inspired choice yeah. for sure. Shahadi Wright Joseph gonna be Nala in Lion King, a young Nala in Lion King. She she's a child star to watch. I think she's gonna be taking off uh, the next couple of years after this performance. But the funny thing is, I think Evan Alex played Jason was even better. Just crazy that they both were were so good, um, and so and played their creepy counterparts so well too. Must have been an interesting role to get as a kid to have to play these two people anyways scenes that that stood out to you or moments that stood out to you i mean the, the first act is a little slow i felt like yeah it is the thing is i think ultimately like my appreciation of the film is the trailer does not actually show you that much the main twist probably i think the best scene in the movie when she realized oh wait there's more doubles there's more tethers right. there's white people tethers. that's when it takes what? off that like blows everyone's mind like 
I don't know about you, but I had a theater that usually I try and go at like non-prime times to see movies just because I hate people that talk. But in this movie, obviously, because I'm kind of a coward with horror, I'm like, you know what? People are going to talk. I don't mind that much. It'll probably keep my uh, nerves down, you know? So I went as like five o'clock on a Friday and it was or 440, but like five when it started, it was basically sold out and people were roaring at the funny parts. And like I people like yelped. I think it was an oh shit, like audible oh shits and stuff. But when the white people, white tethers came, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, and the twins, like people lost yeah. it. From there, I think the movie just gets like super electric just because you don't really know what's coming. Right. But you mentioned the beginning's a little slow. I think the beginning, again, it's a lot of the trailer, but like it's a lot of table setting for things you learn later. And I think the value of a rewatch would really benefit, especially in the beginning. You're just going to see things. Um, that first scene where you see all like the retro references, like the right stuff. Yeah. And the hands across America, all those, all those very tactically placed uh, pieces of ephemera, right? Obviously, that's great. But even like the scene where the "I got five on it" scene, which is in the trailer, which becomes a motif, which you don't expect. So honestly, like I, I like I like a ton of scenes, but I think ultimately the white the white people the tether's coming, and then I also really like the opening title card when it zooms out on the rabbits, and it's a black rabbit, a bunch of white rabbits, and then you see more black rabbits. Yeah. But, I thought that was really effective. Yeah, it was it was really effective, and uh, you know, reading a little bit about why Jordan Peele picked the rabbits because he feels like they have such blank stares, and the way he like zoomed so far in on their eyes at first, uh, I I really got that right. sense like, oh, this is like kind of creepy to see a rabbit up close like this. No, I agree. You know, the first act's a little slow, but it, it's effective because it really does, like you said, all the table setting, and you get a lot of payoff in this movie. Um, and I think that's something Jordan Peele does really well as a director is. He gives you payoff for a lot of things. Like thinking about like the end of Get Out, like you get payoff on everybody, especially like when Brie Larson's character, or not Brie Larson, um, Allison Brie's, you know, Brian, Allison Wilson, Allison Williams. <sighs> Long day. <laughs> definitely not Brie Larson. <laughs> no, definitely not Brie Larson. But when when she's when she's killed at the end, that's or you think she's killed. It seems like I think that you get a lot of payoff at that point. Yeah. When the family comes at first, it's such a creepy scene. And, you know, you kind of expect it because you saw it in the trailers. But Winston Duke's tethered person, Abraham, is this big, like, brute. And you're like, oh, what's, what's going on here? Like, he's just going to kill him right here. But he's like, you know, Winston Duke's like dragging himself down to the water. You're like, where's all this going? And then it really takes off, like you said, when they when he kills Gabe on the boat. And then she cuts over to the uh, you know Elizabeth Moss family. And those guys waste no time. <laughs> Red and, and Abraham and Umbre and Pluto are like toying with, you know, Lupita's family. And then the other one's just like, boom, dead. Dead. Two seconds. <laughs> yeah. But that scene is so phenomenal. Not only like the good vibrations thing and the Ophelia, whatever, oh, like switching to fuck yeah. the police, which is so just good. hysterical. But just like how creepy those twins were, like the whole thing was just. Yeah. and then and then you know they, they obviously show up and lupita gets pulled in it's just next level at that point in the moment i was like oh man they skip easy's verse in fact the police come back <laughs> in and it's mc ren and i'm like ah oh, dang yeah oh well but yeah, the ophelia <laughs> nice little stab at uh amazon alexa that was cool because as we get to the third act with us we learn more about the existence of the tethers and their inf underground infrastructure and how they came to be and all that and the big twist at the end with adelaide that's where like i think it's i don't want to call it divisive but that's where people are i guess branching off in terms of the discussion about the film because there's people that are just harping down like the logistics of the world right yeah 
And there are people that are like, don't overthink it. It's about the metaphors, which is where I'm at. I guess I'm just kind of off put by like this convo. It's like, why are you focusing on this? This is a movie that has awesome message that can be interpreted so many different ways. And you're just asking me, you're just asking me about like the geographical trackers and the tethers and whether they actually move around when someone moves above ground. Like, why? Who cares? You can you can pick holes in a lot of horror movies, a lot of good horror movies. That's not the point. Right. Else is actually bringing more to the table. That's way more interesting than that. That part of the discourse is kind of annoying me right now. It's actually funny. I'm going to jump to a part, but you know, at the end, Jason's giving Red slash Adelaide that look in the car as they're driving away. And there's a lot of people speculating what that means. Like, does he recognize that that's not actually his mom, that his mom is one of the tethered, like, come to the top? Is he one of the tethered that's come to the top? And there's a theory on Reddit that Mm. Jason is one of the, you know, the year before had, like, burned himself and the other the the tethered had switched himself or something like that and this person's like no but the the daughter is this way because she got more of the dad's dna and because you know red was the tethered jason got more of her dna and that's why they're closer and i was like we're really getting into like the weeds of like genetic makeup with these people and like speculating on that's why one kid is one way i was like we i can't get in the weeds this much man i gotta pull back at some point and just enjoy it and it's obviously just like, you know, it's part of the horror movie trope, you know, some of the, some of this stuff. But I think overall, the metaphors are the most interesting thing to talk about. And I think there's obvious classism, you know, the people who are above, the people who are below, yep. rising up, so to speak. I think that one's pretty obvious. Duality of humanity is where I think I start to get really interested into this because there's so much symbolism of it throughout, like that duality. You know, the scissors are an obvious one, how they're like basically like two parts make a whole you know the rabbit how they're the rabbits how there's so many like they re, they procreate and there's so many of them and mm-hmm. blah blah michael jackson was one that i found to be a really interesting symbol in this you know that you have peel talked about this how michael jackson back in the 80s was like this person who was so much fun and alive but he was also you know made thriller and the thriller music video actually really scared him as a kid but also think about michael jackson as that you know the the person who in the 80s was this black symbol and then uh had all the the skin surgeries and things like that and he kind of became two people in a sense of as a public figure right um and even now i mean that that's even more poignant with the documentaries coming out what did you think about that like metaphor of the duality of humanity yeah yeah well i think another thing is peel spells it out early the little kid's like it's us and then when they talk in the red she's like who are you were Americans, Americans, right? Yeah. So right there, they're giving you a few of them. I think the red jumpsuits looking like prison outfits definitely stands up. And I was really just thinking about like class and I guess how race factors into that. Uh, and again, like, you're bringing in what you expect of Peel after seeing Get Out with you. So you're kind of already right. thinking in, time, in, in terms of like these societal commentary of some sort. But it's not really so much about race or if it is, it's much more top level, like about society yeah. as a whole, whereas Get Out was much more focused on like race relations, especially with like wealthy liberals, right? But us, you know, I started thinking about, I, I, I started, I really started thinking about the, the American thing, but I mean, obviously they, they, they lead you there. It's funny because like, I, I was trying to think like, what's like the, like, what's like the intended metaphor? Like what, what's, well, what's Peel's real message, right? And I, and I think mm-hmm. for some people it's an issue. I think, I don't know if there is one. I think it's a little messy in that regard where you can take it in so many different directions and plausibly explain the meaning. And I think that's ultimately where the genius is, that there's so many metaphorical explanations. 
I saw some people throw in religion. I, that didn't really come up to me when I was watching it. But I think capitalism, classism, as you said, haves and have-nots, that sort of thing. Uh, something that actually jumped in mind real quick when we were watching the movie is, remember when uh, Adelaide goes back into Elizabeth Moss's house and the twin's body is gone it's off the mm-hmm. table? I was like, oh, wait, are they getting framed for white people murder? Was this like some plan to frame the black family? Uh, and then, no, no, it was when Twin was just alive, that's all. So that was totally not yeah. happening. So I kind of really started going through my head. Totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing or another interesting theme that I think came out of this is like nature versus nurture, so to speak. You know, um, how they talk about the, you know, the, the tether of these clones that the government made and uh, they couldn't replicate the souls, and they noticed that they were kind of these like bum clones, so to speak. So they <laughs> just abandoned them under underground, but they still somehow continued to like procreate and you know basically replicate Eat those the rabbits that happening above them, right? Uh, and I think it's really interesting to think about the idea of like nature versus nurture because Adelaide and Red are perfect examples of that you know like the environment that you grow up in influences the way that you see the world the way that you interact and you even see a little bit of that with like jason and with his sister and and opposites you know uh whereas uh um umbre who is the daughter's uh opposite i forgot the daughter's name right but um she's smiling all the time she's happy whereas the daughter is kind of like a grumpy teenager in a sense nose on her phone like yeah Exactly. Or how uh, Winston Duke's Gabe is such a goofy guy, but like, you know, his his tethered is so serious and right. like this big brooding brute. Really, I think well done. I think that metaphor comes across really well. Also, something I didn't mention before, but the camera work in this is a lot better than Get Out, I feel like. And there's so many scenes that like stood out. But the one I keep thinking about a lot is when uh, Red has... Adelaide against the glass in their first interaction is like pressing her face into that glass uh, tabletop and you just see it cracking slowly and then you yep. hear Jason and Pluto and she's like one of yours or that that one's yours and she's just like Ugh. and it's like it's up I, I like started giggling so much that I thought it was such a beautiful shot and then to have it like end like that was so yeah yeah I uh, also the mirror scenes look really cool obviously there's a lot going on when you're filming that kind of that shot so that was cool yeah I think I guess similar to where you, I think I kind of landed on um, for the meaning. It's just like the duality of each person as two sides of everyone. I think that's sort of what I started thinking of. And I think once you get to the end and you realize like the the final twist, I think that that's started where I settling on. But the fact that you can apply to society in so many different ways is so cool. And of mm-hmm. course, along the way, it looks amazing, as you just said. Yeah. And it's both funny and scary at times. So quite the movie man i'm really happy that it's so successful in fact it's yeah. the highest grossing original film live action since avatar you know the highest grossing <laughs> movie ever so se- 70 over 70 million dollars first weekend third highest horror opening period quite the success only cost 20 million bucks peels on a real heater he's got the uh cbs all access twilight zone coming out just two more questions did you see the the final twist coming of red Adam? right like right before like like yeah. with like th- 30 seconds to go, I started to piece it together in my mind. I, I, I wasn't thinking about that that way. You know, I just kind of, I thought they were some kind of like shadows, as they were saying, some kind of phantom person. You know, I, I didn't think that they got twist, twisted, literally got switched like that. Right. And then I started thinking, you know, going back. And it's like, we thought that Adelaide had repressed Santa Cruz because it was traumatic 
because that's what happened when she got like she saw the person. No, it's the other way around. Like it's just it's really kind of mind blowing how like it worked like that. Then you really think of oh wait, so the real Adelaide. She's the only one who actually talks. That's because she actually was above the surface for some time. And it would make sense that she was the leader. Is she the good guy, actually? Who Are, are there any good guys? Are there any bad guys? Like It really just makes you totally rethink and refresh everything you just watched and everything you thought you were you were believing. Really cool twist, but no, I didn't really see it coming. I kind of sniffed it out right after she started talking and I noticed that the other ones couldn't. I was like, huh, that's strange that she's the only one that can talk. And that, But that honestly, it wasn't wasn't a big deal to me because I still thought the movie was really enjoyable. I thought the choreography too, you know, they highlighted a lot that she was a dancer and it was such a powerful moment in that scene where Red's trying to kill Adelaide, vice versa, I thought was really well done. So any last thoughts before we wrap up for today? Don't get bogged down in the world building this thing about the meaning because that's what's going to last to people. Definitely evangelize for the film. I mean, not that it needs to help, obviously, judging by the box office we just mentioned, but definitely the best movie I've seen. So far in 2019, obviously still really definitely. a handful of good stuff's come out so far. Yeah, I was definitely pleased. Yeah, go see it and uh, comment your favorite theories or what you think us means um, on our videos. We, we really want to have a discussion around this. We really love, love the film. Uh, what we got next week, Dave? So next week is uh, quite busy. We'll see how much of this we can bang out and actually get to. But on the film front, the Dumbo remake, reimagining from Disney comes out if you embargo hasn't broken yet but i've started to see some good comments so that's nice because again i don't know how much of a blockbuster this will be the beach bum from harmony corinne with matthew mcconaughey comes out and that was i think that was at sundance and just looks trippy and weird and like a cool adult film a la spring breakers from corinne so mm-hmm. interested in that for sure and then on tv the rest of hannah on prime comes out on friday we talked about the premiere check our review on that and then the season premieres on HBO Sunday night of Barry season two and the final season of Veep. And then, of course, Billie Eilish is dropping an album on Friday. You know, one of the biggest artists in the world and also Lana Del Rey. And those are two artists that we're not super high on, but we'll still talk about them. If you want to get crazy, Dave, we can get crazy. <laughs> we can get crazy. <laughs> See you next week. Yeah.